Jesus' words that uh, Sue just shared with us about storing up treasure in heaven instead of on earth, a bank account in heaven instead of a bank account here on earth, uh, because where our treasure is, that's where our heart is going to be. That, that seems like strange words. In fact, we have a lot of advice and a lot of philosophy that is telling us the opposite. You know, there's a man named uh, Karl Marx, and he died a long time ago, but his ideas still rule the world today and many of our universities. And uh, one of his thoughts was uh, that religion is the opiate of the people, of the masses, uh, meaning that it puts you to sleep. It keeps you dull from really understanding that there's suffering here on earth and that you should do something about it right now instead of putting it off and thinking, oh, well, I got heaven, so I'll just endure this pain and this hell here on earth. And uh, when you think about that, uh, there's a lot, of, a lot of that that is carried out in ideas and thoughts today. You know, let's, let's live for it all. Let's uh, uh, climb the ladder of success, and doesn't matter who you step on, let's, uh, or let's uh, take care of our, ourselves and our own. And there's all these thoughts that, we, that, that bump up against us. And we might say, well, hey, I, I believe the Bible, I believe the gospel, I believe what Jesus says. But we have all these competing philosophies that, that try to bump us off track. And so because of that, uh, we, we sometimes get a little off. And sometimes uh, we start feeling things because we see people around us and how they live and how they act. And we want to be like everybody else at times. We don't want to be the odd man out. We don't want to be oddballs. And, uh, and so it's hard sometimes when we think about Jesus' words. What, what are Jesus' words? Look again, Matthew 6, verses 19 through 24. Uh, this is the main passage we're going to be with today. Uh, we're also going to be uh, stopping in Mark 14 with a story that illustrates Jesus' words about where the heart is. But says this, he says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasure, treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And then he goes on to talk about how your eye is a lamp of the body, and if the eye is bad, then the whole body is dark and you can't see. So, and then he says... No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Well, we know that uh, from God's word that the earth is going to wear out. Revelation 21.1. It's going to wear out, and then we're going to have a new heaven and new earth. We know that heaven is unshakable. It's eternal. It will never end. Thousands and thousands of years from now, heaven will still be standing firm. The earth, we don't know if it will be here or not. So when you think about heaven and earth, earth is what can be shaken. Heaven cannot be shaken. And Jesus is saying... The best bet is to store up treasure in the place that cannot be shaken instead of the place that will be shaken and fall apart. But for Christ followers, when we look at Jesus' words, see, our hearts are not just set 
on a place. We're not just set on a kingdom that's eternal, never going to be shaken. Our, our hearts are set not on a thing, but on a someone. Our hearts are set on the person, Jesus Christ. You see, every kingdom has a king. And that king is also eternal, so that he can rule this eternal kingdom. And he has conquered death, and he has overcome, and he is greater than anything and everyone. And he is going to be ruling from heaven. And that's really, as for, for Christ followers, that's where our heart is set. It's on our king, King Jesus. But all of this and Jesus' words about what we do with our material possessions in a world that's fading away in contrast to a kingdom that never ends, when we, when we think about these words, it really begs ask the question, what do we really believe? What do we really believe? What do we believe about Jesus, this king, his eternal kingdom? What do you believe about this earth Will it really pass away while Jesus' words remain forever? What you believe is going to affect your perspective on beginnings and endings of life. What you believe about these things is going to affect your belief about education, about philosophy, about government, about spirituality, about economics, money, and social organization. In other words, your core beliefs will shape your worldview. Jesus said the eye is the lamp of the body. In other words, your view of things will direct the rest of your living through your body, in the body. So, for example, when you give to your local church, is that giving to God? Well, what do you believe about the kingdom of God will determine the answer to that question, won't it? I mean, is Christ really in us? Is part of the kingdom of heaven, is it here on earth, visibly in you? Do you see yourself as part of that invisible body of Christ that is expressed visibly in the local church? Do you believe that? If you can answer a, a yes, affirmative to these questions, then you're, you're saying yes to, yes, when I give to my church, I'm giving to God. Or at least, if not that, you can say that, well, I believe that the church is God's instrument, his main instrument for accomplishing his mission here on earth. You know, by answering some of these simple questions, you're determining where you want your heart to be. Answering these questions about what you believe about these things is determining where you want your heart to be. You're determining, at least with your mind, what you treasure or value. Now, sometimes our minds are not telling our hearts what to do and where to go. Instead, kind of the, the norm in our society today is our hearts tell our minds what to think. Our hearts, our feelings, our emotions. You know, it's rare that I hear someone say, I think that this is what should be or this is what should be done. Instead, I hear a majority of people say, well, I feel, I feel that this is the way something should do, be done or what I should do, I feel. We're, we're people that were tentative about 
taking a firm stand on what we think. And so we say a lesser imperative type uh, statements. Uh, we, we, we say, I feel. But the thing is, is that we have to be sure about what we think. And when we're sure about what we think, then we can tell our hearts what to feel instead of our hearts telling our minds what to think. You know, sometimes our hearts and minds are not always on the same page, are they? I mean, sometimes your heart feels, I want this, or I want to do that, or I want to say this, but your mind is saying, no, you shouldn't do that, you shouldn't say that, you should want this instead. And sometimes there's a battle between our head and our heart, isn't there? Between our emotions and our thinking. And a lot of times we let our heart win, uh, our emotions win. And it's time that we, we start aligning our heart and mind together. It's time that we align them with what we truly believe and what we truly think. You know, uh, there's an example. God, God speaks to his people knowing that our hearts and minds sometimes don't align always. He says in Isaiah 29, 13, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Again, the, the things that you're thinking and saying and coming out of your mouth can be very far apart from where your heart is actually at. And so we, we got to realign. We can't let our hearts dictate to our minds. We can't let our feelings dictate to our minds. And we can't let our minds also disengage from our hearts. The truth is, if we let our hearts rule, we're probably going to end up having two loves, like Jesus described. He said, you know, you can't have two masters. But if we live with divided mind and heart, we're going to end up with two masters. We're going to end up with two loves. And we're going to be divided. And in the end, one of our loves is going to turn to hate. That, that is what eventually will play out. Jesus says this as a, as a statement. This is like a law of physics. This is a law about our minds and hearts. And if we have two masters, you cannot serve two masters. Either you'll hate one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So the question is, is what if you find yourself in this position where your mind and heart are split and, and you're trying to realign them with what you truly believe about the kingdom, about Jesus, about possessions and about eternity and, and, and temporary things and you're trying to align your mind and heart with what Christ wants but you find yourself, I got, I got these two loves in my life. How, how, how do I walk away from one? How do I stop having two masters? Well, I think you're going to have to start by getting your mind aligned with Christ, setting your mind on things above, and then allow your heart to align with your mind. Again, get the right order, your mind telling your heart what to feel. And you're going to have to set your mind on things above, on the one who is above, the desire of all nations, and say goodbye to lesser desires. And when your mind does that, it will lift up your heart maybe reluctantly, and, and then with some ache, that ache growing into a desire, and that desire then beginning to burn brighter into a full-blown passion for Jesus Christ. And that's the truth. 
is that our hearts will follow our minds eventually. Our feelings will follow our thoughts. But you have to tell yourself what to feel. But I know that hearts, because we're so used to obeying our hearts, obeying our emotions, and following our emotions, that you might need some help with this. And you might need a jump start. And, and, and a jump start for your heart to get things going in the right direction. And you might need to do what I call break the bottle. <coughs> Excuse me. Break the bottle. You're going to have to start by doing something out of the ordinary, something special. And, and so I want to tell you a story that's found in the Gospels, three of the four Gospels, that's connected with this idea of two masters, two loves, or where your heart is where your heart really is. And it's the story of two hearts, one who broke the bottle and whose heart was released, and another who couldn't align his heart and mind together, change his view, and his heart was chained. See, uh, in Mark chapter 14, Jesus was at a dinner party about a week before his crucifixion. He was at the house of Simon the leper, not Simon the Pharisee, it's a different seen a different different uh, story but he's at Simon the leper's house and while Jesus and his disciples are reclining at the table you know that's how they ate back then they would kind of lean on one side and grab food and and either their feet would be to the side or to the back and and as he was reclining there and eating at the table of Simon the leper a woman comes in and uh, again, it was probably a large room and, uh, with entryways from a courtyard and other parts of the house. And so this woman may have came in. It wasn't an invited guest, but she came in through the courtyard, came in, and she breaks out this bottle of very expensive perfume. Now, these jars, uh, these alabaster jars, and it says it was alabaster jars, uh, had tops that were usually sealed with wax or some other uh, adhesive or sealant so that you didn't screw off a lid or pull a cork. You actually had to break the bottle to open up and, and get the contents out. And so we're told that this woman breaks the alabaster jar, uh, breaks the bottle open, and then she takes the perfume, takes the scent, and she anoints Jesus' head with it. And this woman was so focused on what she was doing, it didn't matter that there was a dinner party that she was not invited to that was going on. It didn't matter that everyone else was, was stopping what they were eating and watching what this, this strange thing going on. She had her mind and heart set on Jesus. And after she does this, the whole house is filled with this fragrance of her extravagant gift now, we're told that this perfume was really expensive. How expensive? Well, the people there who saw what happened thought what this woman did to, to Jesus was wasteful. That was wasteful because this bottle of, of perfume, this alabaster jar of perfume, was worth a whole year's wages. So maybe let's put that in perspective to today's world what would be a year's worth wages? Well, an average working man's wage in, in North Carolina last year was around $41,000. So this is a $41,000 bottle of fragrance that has just been broken open. And in the Gospel of Mark, it says that the people present were indignant. 
That's, a, that's an anger word. That's, they, they were angry. They were frustrated. And, and in the Gospel of Matthew, it says specifically that the disciples were indignant about the waste of the money from this bottle of perfume that, that could have been sold and that the proceeds could have been given to the poor. Now, in the Gospel of John, it clarifies even more and says that we're told that Judas, the betrayer, was actually the ringleader in this practical thinking and that he is the one who actually spoke out. But this gospel also shares that he did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money of the bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. So here we go. We have the two hearts in the room with Jesus. And there's one, the woman who's broken the bottle, this expensive gift, and just laid it out for Jesus. And, and her heart and mind is set on him. She, she doesn't see anyone else in the room. And there's another man in the room named Judas. And all he can think is the practical thoughts of what a waste. What a waste. Could have been used for something else. Why'd you give that to Jesus? Why'd you waste it on him? So here we are in the room, the fragrance filling our nostrils. And there's, there's one heart just swept up and focused on Jesus. And there's another heart set on something other than Jesus, leading, leading the charge of wastefulness against a woman. And what does Jesus say about the woman and what she's done? She says, he says, leave her alone. She has done a beautiful thing to me. She has done a beautiful thing to me. And he goes on to say, you know, the poor you'll always have with you, but I'm only going to be with you for a little while. And she's done this to honor me for my future burial. And what she's done is going to be told for ages to come as the gospel is shared, wherever the gospel is shared, She's going to be spoken of in memory of her. And here we are today, 2,000 some years later, and we're talking about this lady who broke the bottle. We're actually fulfilling Jesus' words today. Now the idea here is that sometimes you just need to go and break a bottle. You need to do something extravagant to break out of the ordinary. Sometimes you have to do something that maybe people would think is wasteful. You need to do something extravagant for Jesus. Not just something crazy for yourself, but something for Jesus. Setting all your focus, all your passion upon him, regardless of what others might think. It, it is an act of generosity that can jumpstart your heart to being set right. Breaking a bottle can help you move your heart from being set on earthly things to being set on Jesus. You know, there was a pastor a while back whose church was doing really well and they designed a new church facility and the design required that it was going to be all made of glass and they had this really fantastic, amazing design for it. Uh, when the public found out about uh, the plans that this church had made for this beautiful building, uh, the, the church, uh, the, the surrounding community who were not part of the church became indignant and uh, they wrote articles about it in the newspaper and they said this was such a waste putting all this money into this building when the money could have been used for other things you know and I'm the sort of person that could have easily joined that bandwagon and said what, what a waste but there's something really familiar about that story I mean what if this pastor was just breaking the bottle for Jesus? 
Maybe that was all that was in his mind and his heart. And, and this church, what they had in their mind and heart. I mean, when's the last time that there's actually been a beautiful church building built in honor and set aside and dedicated to God? I mean, has it been the Renaissance, 1500s? I mean, I'm sure there's been a few instances after that, but is it possible? Yes, it is. Now, I'm not sure why Judas had, his, had this other viewpoint about the wastefulness of an extravagant gift for Jesus. But right after the incident, in three of the four Gospels, it records that Judas went out and betrayed Jesus after that moment. I mean, was he really that mad about this little incident? I, I'm not sure that he was really that mad about it. I, I think that just with his practical thinking, there were some practical reasons and that was just the instance that just kind of set it off. Judas possibly was looking for an earthly Messiah instead of a, a suffering heavenly Messiah. Maybe he thought if he turned Jesus into the Pharisees that, that, that w this would force Jesus' hand to perform miracles and then the proof would be right there before the religious leader's eyes and then they would see his power and they would, and they would say, you really are the Son of God. We're going to follow you. And, and, and it would all turn around. But, but no matter how you slice it, Judas thought that what the woman did was foolish and wasteful. And I suppose some might think the same today of those who break bottles and pour it out for Jesus. You know, taking that tax return and giving it to Jesus and his kingdom instead of using it for our own plans. Break the bottle sold that house and, and gave some of the profit to the organization that sponsors children and feeds them. Break the bottle. Saving for that special house project, but then felt like Jesus told you to give it instead to that church that had a need. Break the bottle. For him. For him. So is giving to Jesus a waste? Is giving to the visible part of his kingdom, the church, a waste? I guess it depends on where your heart is. If your heart is just set on earth and all the world offers, then yes, it would be a waste. But what does Jesus say? You have done a beautiful thing to me. A beautiful thing. Why do people break the bottle for Jesus? Because there is a love for Jesus and for his kingdom that burns within them. They want to honor him in a generous way. And I suppose for some of us, the band, you guys can come on up here. I suppose for some of us, the breaking the bottle could be an act of our minds telling our hearts to return to our first love. I suppose that breaking the bottle for us could be like Zacchaeus, giving over half his possessions away. It's, it's an act of repenting which means a, a change of mind, a change of heart of where we focus. It's an act of saying, I want my focus not to be on earthly things that fade, but on Jesus and his kingdom that never ends and will never be shaken. What is it that you value or treasure more? Is there something more than Jesus that you treasure? What is it? Jesus and his kingdom or the world? Two masters. 
Where's your heart going to be? Let's start with our minds telling our hearts what to feel, where to go, what to do. Don't let our feelings tell our minds what to do. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where are you putting your treasure these days? Where are you putting it? In truth, that's what your heart is. Maybe that's not where you want your heart to be. Maybe if you went to look at your checkbook and where, where your treasure is going or, or look at your time and where it's all going, you want to reevaluate that. So maybe it's time to break a bottle, to break out of the rut, break out of the routine. It's time to do something extravagant. So again, this morning in, in our worship, uh, the song is going to be played, and it's a time for just you and God. None of the staff are not going to interrupt you or anything. We, we'd love to pray with you if you'd like to, to pray with uh, one of the staff or one of our gel leaders. But really, this is just a time between you and God. We, we have these little tables up here with the altar your life, you know, A-L-T-A-R, sacrifice your life, offer it up to God. And if there's something that you realize that you've been treasuring more, that, that you need to lay it down, or maybe there's something you know that God has put in your mind saying, that's, that's the alabaster jar you've got to break. I want you to give it to me. Maybe, maybe that's it. Maybe you're asking that dangerous question, Jesus, we're talking about generosity, what do you want me to give? That's a dangerous question to ask Jesus, isn't it? But maybe he's, he's told you, and it's time to not listen to maybe what your heart is objecting to, but what your mind says, this is what I believe, and this is what I'm going to act on. So heart, get in gear. This is where we're going. Lord Jesus, in the next few moments, I pray that you'd speak to our minds and our hearts, that we'd align them with you. And Lord, that we'd be able to set our hearts and minds on you. You're our treasure. You're where we want to be. We want to be with you. Lord, we, we assume that your descriptions and your word, that heaven is a marvelous, an amazing place, eternal, never be shaken a beautiful kingdom, a beautiful city. But Lord, what makes it attractive to us is that you're there and we want to be where you're at. Lord, thank you for what you did at the cross to make that possible, that we could be with you. Thank you that it's not about a tithe or a giving or anything, but Lord, it's being with you is about trusting you and what you did at the cross for us. Lord, we want to practice a life that walks in grace, walks in mercy. Show us how to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.